what we have right now is a society in which nobody feels safe. Well, not even the president, actually. He just got assassinated. So that is how bad it is, and that's how it's different. You have the impression right now that every Haitian feels like, if I leave my house and I step into the streets, I have no certainty that I am going back home alive. Thanks so much for joining us here at the Interesting Times podcast. This is our first episode and really excited to be launching this new venture. Um, now, in some ways, this is a continuation. Um, some of you may have been aware that I have been running a podcast known as the Caves of Altamira um, for just about a year and a half. And being that I have started the Substack um, newsletter and going to be posting and working kind of centrally through there. Substack does nicely offer a podcast platform. So it just kind of struck me as the most straightforward thing to put them kind of all together in one place and just keep them under the Interesting Times banner. So um, that is how we've ended up here. Nonetheless, this is kind of a new launch of this podcast, and this will be the first episode. Um, we'll be having an excellent conversation with one of the more thoughtful and interesting people I know, Eagleson Lagagne, um, here to talk about what's going on in Haiti and, and some of the unrest and political breakdown that's been going on there. And um, as in keeping with what kind of the theme of the interesting times is, we are going to be talking about um, what is happening and some of the specific details of the events, but spending a good bit of the conversation kind of digging in a little bit deeper to some of the kind of subterranean undercurrents that are shaping the nature of the way this is unfolding in Haiti at present. Anyways, for those of you, either if you're coming from the Caves of Altamira or you are accessing this or um, joining this through your uh, connection to the Interesting Times Substack. Um, no matter what, thank you so much for supporting these ventures. And as I mentioned in the most recent post, I'm really excited. Um, I've been doing a lot of work trying to recruit some uh, additional contributors and really expand the Interesting Times into kind of a multi-contributor platform that really draws in a lot of interesting voices and perspectives on current events and in a way that really tries to dig into some of their deeper historical, social, cultural um, kind of roots and things lying behind them. And I'm really hoping that the site can become a place for a kind of vigorous and, and really thoughtful conversation um, that puts a much more hefty spin on kind of some of the day-to-day -day news grind that all of us, certainly myself included, um, tend to be caught up in. And one more note, um, it's a, a sadly... Um, it's sad for me to kind of have to mention this note or or to bring this up, but um, I I you know as with the rest of us um have learned I'm in Japan so I learned this morning um recording this on the morning of Wednesday, May 25th here in Japan, of the just you know I mean tragic I don't even think is is deep enough a word for the events that took place in Texas, and um it's just even a bit 
harder for me to kind of reflect upon in the fact that um, Eagleson and I did spend a good amount of time talking about um, how the prolific availability of guns within the United States is, as we can see, not just a massive source of tragedy and violence and continual horror within the United States, um, but it's something that spills over into countries um, neighboring the United States, notably Haiti and other countries in the Caribbean. Uh, to be, you know, kind of quite open and honest, um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a cliche that, uh, you know, people say, well, when you have children, you look at the world differently. And, um, you know, some cliches are, are cliches because there's a, a, a quite a bit of truth lying in that. And I spent, you know, 20 some years as an adult and I've only been a father now for just about three years. And um, I do have some, I guess, direct comparisons and, and it's not that you have any more pro more profound insights or anything deeper. It's not some sort of elevated status. I think that is nonsense. But um, I think, you know, I can honestly say hearing about the events in Texas um, this morning and being able to kind of put it in the context of how I would feel and, and just the absolute pain of just even imagining um, something so horrific happening to my son. I mean, it, it does put a different spin on it than how I would have felt about it um, just four or five years ago. And again, that is not a superior feeling or a better feeling. It's just a different feeling. Um, and yeah, I'm just at a loss. I, I, I feel that maybe that's kind of the mood. Um, I, I just haven't, you know, there's no words or anything that one can say. Um, but it, it is something that has, um, you know, profoundly shaken me. And um, in some ways, I guess that is some way that myself and others, we try to stay alive and, and not turn so cold and so um, accepting of this that we just kind of shrug it off. And I guess in some ways, um, the continual feeling of pain and, and the tragedy is at least something that can hopefully um, serve as a spark, and 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 maybe this time um, will be the time that that some sort of tide will change. Um, obviously, there's not great hope for optimism given the past experiences, but let's hope. Okay, well, um, I'm sorry. You know, as you can tell, it's it's really really hit me, and I'm sure it's it's hit most people, not just in America but around the world, um, and. Um, I, I mean, it goes without saying that my heart and, and, and everything goes out to any of the families of the community that I, it's just almost, I can't really imagine it. Um, so with that said, uh, I really am excited to turn over to our conversation with, um, Eagleson Le Gagne. Um, he again is just one of the more profound all around individuals I've ever had the chance to meet. Um, as I've mentioned, he hails from Haiti. Um, where he studied at the, I believe, L'Ecole Supérieure Normale in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, um, receiving an undergraduate degree there and receiving a master's in applied linguistics and English instruction at the School for International Trading in Vermont. Um, he has made a home in South Korea now for about the past 15 years, um, holding professor appointments at the Busan University of Foreign Studies, Gyeongju University, as well as his present position at Changshin University in Changwon, South Korea. 
above and beyond just being um, a top-notch educator and intellect, um, Eagleson happens to be a, an extremely talented multi-instrumental um, musician, um, percussionist. He is a, a songwriter and a singer. And um, as you will see towards the end of the podcast, I kind of, you know, in, pro in an impromptu way, hit Eagleson up to see if he could perhaps um, you know, send me some of his uh, music or a song that he has written and recorded for our outro. And lo and behold, he was kind enough to do that. So the outro um, to this podcast is a song written, recorded, performed by Professor Le Gagneux. Um, he was also kind enough to, the, the song is sung in Haitian Creole, but he was kind enough to send me uh, a copy of the English translation of the lyrics. And it is a song that is beautiful and has a touch of morosity, but um, also um, some deep abiding hope. And um, given just the events we've discussed and, and what you know what we talked about um, just a few minutes ago, uh, I find that you know it is a song um, not just for this particular moment, for the times we are living in. So um, thanks again to Eagleson for. Um, providing us with this beautiful song to take us out at the end of our discussion. So um, thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks so much for supporting these ventures. Um, please leave a comment or review um, on Substack or in Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen. Um, we are a small kind of, you know, um, operation here. And uh, what we really rely on is word of mouth and references from others. Um, a lot of the podcasts and other kind of Substack or, or sites that I visit tend to come from suggestions and recommendations from my friends. So um, if you find anything interesting, or if you like kind of some of the conversations and so forth um, that you find here on the podcast or on the essays on the site, please do pass along to your friends. Say, hey, you know, the interesting times, give it a look, check it out. It's pretty cool. Um, that would be much appreciated. Uh, as always, leaving reviews is also a big help. So thanks again, and um, I hope you enjoy the show and look forward to catching you soon. Eagleson Lagagne, thanks so much for joining us. Hello, Kevin. Uh, thanks for having me. And it's a pleasure to be here with you. Right. And, uh, you know, just for our listeners to know that you're um, taking a, a very sacred Saturday afternoon, your precious free time to sit down and talk with us about um, some of the things that have been going on in Haiti, um, both present and, and trying to kind of put that in some context. And so I, I really appreciate you taking the time to come by. Oh, it's a pleasure for me to do that. Um, yes, it's a Saturday, but, you know, um, we are living through a pandemic. We, we don't have a whole lot that we are really doing. So um, I think that's okay. Right. And, you know, in, in some ways, uh, it, it somewhat models the uh, quote-unquote globalized world we live in, I guess, that uh, here is the, an American and a Haitian um, recording a podcast um, between Japan and Korea. So here we <laughs> yeah, um, it's, uh, yeah, you know, it is quite so, interesting. I mean, it is. It is. If anyone told me we would be able to do this, I wouldn't believe them. <laughs> right. <laughs>
All right. Well, um, yeah, strange as this all may be. Um, and of course, uh, you know, sadly, not the only reason I had actually contacted you some months back um, wanting to, um, you know, I've, I've known you for years and I just think, you know, just one of the more thoughtful and interesting people I know. And um, obviously being from Haiti, uh, you might be able to bring some of those kind of particular intellectual and, and kind of philosophical skills to bear on helping us understand what's going on. And so sadly, yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, I guess kind of the proximate cause for us um, catching up now is a kind of ongoing, unfolding kind of civil unrest um, breaking out in Haiti and wanting to kind of get some idea of what's going on again, right in the kind of present in the here and now, and then trying to take a step back and, and think about some of the broader historical um, forces that are at work. So yeah, I'll just start it with that very simple, but obviously extremely complex question. Um, and and I want to, you know, we mentioned when we talked before this, uh, uh, it should be clear that you're speaking, you know, as Eagleson Le Gagne, like, someone from Haiti who knows these things well, but you're not speaking for the entire country of Haiti. So, exactly. Uh, yeah. But, um, you know, just that simple question, what's, what's going on? That is a very difficult question to answer. And right now, I am not sure anyone can really answer that question with any degree of accuracy, whether it's the Haitian government or well, the American government that is also very involved in everything happening in Haiti right now. Uh, and the Haitian people, uh, it's really, really, really complicated. We've had problems in the past. We've had unrest. Um, but what we're going through right now is a completely different beast. It's, um, it is very, very complicated. It is something that we've never seen uh, regardless of what we've heard about Haiti in the past, what we are going through right now, I can tell you as something that has no precedent. We've never seen it that bad and it's never been that scary. So basically here's what's going on. Uh, we, if, if we want to, to, to step back a little bit from the time when we had that administration with the president who's just assassinated, been assassinated. Uh, we had a president, there was a government, he was elected, and uh, we had all the issues with corruption and protests and everything. So that was one thing, that was one thing that was going on. Uh, and some people were not happy with him, and some people were. Uh, personally, I felt like there was a lot of manipulation going on. Um, I didn't think he was the best president we've had. Mm. Well, Eagleson, just to, just to jump in here, could you tell us the president's name and when he was elected for people who may not be as familiar with the situation? Okay. Uh, the president is President Jovenel Moise. I think it, his name has been in the news. Uh, people have probably have seen, have heard what happened. He was elected about five years ago. His term was going to end uh, this coming February, actually last February, and he was assassinated in July. Um, that's why it's so strange and so complicated because he only had seven months to go. It doesn't make sense that people would want to kill him just to remove him from power. It doesn't make any sense. Um, because he only had seven months to go. 
he wasn't going to be president anymore. So it's it to me it means there's something deeper behind what happened and so far nobody really understands exactly what happens there's an investigation going on and the US government is also involved in that um and we are still kept in the dark the Haitian people don't understand what happened we don't know the truth and uh, nobody's telling us anything about it um so yes there was that So that was one issue. But on the other hand, we had another problem with uh, what some people are calling gangs. I don't want to call them gangs because I don't think they are. Uh, I think these people are closer to what we would call terrorists um, on this spectrum of violence, if you want to look at it that way. Uh, closer to terrorists than to just gangs. Uh, why? Many people outside of Haiti don't realize that, but some of those guys, they don't see themselves just as criminals committing crimes. They, some of them, when you listen to them, they see themselves as having a political aim or like there's a political goal to what they are doing. Nobody is sure what that goal is. Nobody's, nobody understands what they are trying to do anyway because they never explain it. But most of the time they will explain it um, in the frame of we have poor people here and they have nothing and nobody's helping them and this is why we're doing this. Um, now, this is something that may sound strange if you if people don't understand the context and they don't live in the area. What's happening and what makes it very hard for police or anybody to Uh, go and find these guys and, and, and take them out as that they infiltrate communities and they live in those communities and it, it looks like they're actually using the money they make to either distribute it to people within the community or to do things in the community. So we don't really, we're not sure because nobody can really go in some of those areas. People really cannot go now. Um, because if you are an outsider, the moment you step in, they know you're not from there and you're probably not going to survive it. Right. Well, well, just to, just to jump in, I mean, in some ways, it seems that this, that's kind of a feature of almost all organized criminal kind of operations, right? Be it like La Cosa Nostra or um, um, some of the um, different gangs you would find in the United States or elsewhere, right? Is it... it It, on the one hand, is a, a violent criminal operation that uses threats and intimidation, but does kind of integrate itself in with a certain local community. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. so, so that seems to be, uh, an, you know, a kind of common feature. And one one thing that um, I just wanted to kind of um, follow up just a little bit on is that so what you seem to be indicating, too, is that. Um, these gangs or terrorists or, or what have you, these you kind of, you know, these very powerful criminal operations. Um, are in some ways able to challenge the state for authority yes. or, or the ability to control a region. Because I think that um, is something that people who may come from wealthier countries or more affluent societies have trouble wrapping their minds around that. Um, that's not something unique to Haiti, but I think this, this phenomenon is, is you know, playing out there where you have criminal factions that are not just like, you know, the mafia or something that has like power or, or some of the gangs that you'll find in, in the streets in the U.S., but literally can like challenge the state 
if you pardon the uh, metaphor, bullet for bullet yes. in terms of controlling an area. And that kind of seems to be what you're describing. And, and in some cases, they have more firepower, I can tell you. Right, <laughs> right, right. So, yes, it's uh, that's exactly what we're going through. And that's why I'm saying um, it's something that has no precedent um, in Haiti. We, 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 we've had problems in the past, but that's the first time we, we, we have it that bad where you, you feel like there's a sense of hopelessness from the state itself. Um, uh, again, it, it's, talking about the Haitian state right now is another, <laughs> is another debate uh, because um, some people, I know intellectuals at home who would flat out tell you that, well, right now, as we're speaking, the Haitian state does not exist. Uh, and, and then they have many reasons to, to believe so. And I tend to agree with them because uh, I, I'm going to tell you something. Right now, the Haitian government does not control our borders. The Haitian government does not have any control on our own parts of our territory. The Haitian government is not providing the basic services that the state should provide to its citizen. The Haitian government, at least what we have right now, doesn't seem to be acting out of its own will and power, so it doesn't have any sovereignty. When you put all of this together, what it means is basically you don't have a state. Right. <laughs> well, I, I mean, in some level too, and I mean, because this is, you know, um, gets into kind of fundamental questions of, of what I, you know, what I at least try to study and, and you know, some of the aspects of like political theory. And um, it, it is interesting that, you know, very often we just deal with the the state or the state as an entity as a kind of it's just so present that it's just a, its existence is almost assumed and that we we lose sight of what a state actually is and you know at, at a basic level it's an ability to kind of collect resources i.e taxes and distribute them in a way that um, creates some sort of functioning order or um, you know social kind of cohesion and that need not even be like a democratic one or you know it could be in obviously a lot of different ways communist authoritarian military democratic but um all states have that kind of basic function like they take i always give my students the example of like a vacuum cleaner that like sucks in a bunch of money and then you flip the mode and then money comes back out right and and like spice you know, weapons, schools, what have you, right? And, and what, what you seem to be indicating is that very core kind of feature of a state has almost like evaporated or, or, yes. or it's inexistent right now. Um, mm. and, and that's what troubles me the most. Uh, well, and, and I wanted to circle back to something you, you pointed out earlier and, and try to connect that with some of the other issues you brought up that, you know, one, that for those who are even just um, casually or not, you know, really deeply uh, knowledgeable or understanding of, of issues um, in Haiti, do have a, a pretty good understanding that there have been issues with instability or civil strife or, or, or so forth. But um, what struck me was you're saying that for people in Haiti now and for people who study and, and live in the country, this is considered something unprecedented, even in the context of prior civil unrest or, or political kind of standoffs. And, you know, maybe you could, I just wanted to kind of ask you to, a little, to explain a little bit more about how this is different and, and, and in what ways, you know, um, maybe you can't say 
exactly, but give some examples or some to try okay. to describe that difference. And then two, the extent to which these events of the president's assassination and the seeming increasing kind of power of these gangs or criminal operations or terrorists, as you called them, you know, how are those, how are those connected? So yeah, those are a few things I wanted to follow up on. Uh, well, how is it different now? Um, I mean, I was born like at the end of the seventies. So basically mm. the end of Same the- here. We're the, we're the best generation, <laughs> Eagleton. That's how we can, I'm 77. Yes. I mean, we really, we got, we are the best. Yeah. So I, I, that was the end of the Duvalier era. Um, Duvalier left in 1986. Um, up until 1986, what did we have? We, we used to have political violence. For example, if you were a dissident, of course, uh, the Duvalier regime might kill you or kill your entire family. We have stories right. of well, that. Just, well, just to hop in here with, the, with just for, again, for listeners who may not be as familiar, the Duvaliers were a family um, famously known as Papa Doc and Baby Doc, Baby Doc. who ruled over Haiti for 20 or 30 years? Um, oh gosh, was it 39? Yes. <laughs> Very long. 40, almost 40 years. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, so, right. uh, Father and son. Father and son, exactly. I, I didn't know the father, but well, I barely knew the son because I was six when, when he was toppled. Um, so what's the difference? Uh, what we had then was targeted violence. So if you were involved in politics, if they suspected you uh, as someone who was doing something that could, you know, uh, take power away from that regime, then you'd be in trouble. Uh, The rest of society was fine. You could walk downtown Port at any time, 2 a.m., 3 a.m. There wasn't a safety problem. Moving from that, that okay, the, the Duvalier left, Baby Doc left. Um, then we, we had a series of uh, military government um, governments. There was still violence because there were factions within the army that were fighting each other for power uh, for over a few years. Uh, again, uh, this was very targeted. Um, the, the regular citizen didn't feel threatened. Um, unless you were in an area where the fighting was going on. Um, and of course, at some point, if you were part of a protest or something, you could still get hurt. Uh, and that continued, continued until the, the, the 90s. Uh, that's what I was explaining in the video the other day. As a child, I could walk downtown Paul Prince uh, without any adults uh, in the middle of the night um, using public transportation to go wherever I want. Uh, back in in the early 90s and late 80s. This right now isn't possible uh, for an adult, let alone a child. What we have right now is a society in which nobody feels safe. Well, not even the president, actually. He just got assassinated. So that is how bad it is, and that's how it's different. You have the impression right now that every Haitian feels like, if I leave my house and I step into the streets, I have no certainty that I am going back home alive because anything can happen to me and nothing is going to stop it. That is the main difference, is that general sense of lack of security and nobody feels safe, Um, no matter who you are and no matter where you are. 
Well, it, it's interesting, um, you know, and it, it comes to mind because uh, I, you know, just um, finished up the first few weeks of my intro to political science class. And as a matter of course, we always talk about Thomas Hobbes and, um, you know, the state of what he always described as a state of nature. And, and I always point out that it's the way he thought of it was one of a kind of overriding fear, mm-hmm. right? A condition as much as like, it's not even the fact that you you could be killed or physically harmed, which is, is, is a reality, but this the thought of it was ever present, mm-hmm. um, which he saw as a kind of debilitating. Um, so it it seems that the situation is, and, and, and on that note, um, you know, we would say this isn't concentrated in like the the larger cities like Port-au-Prince or or other, but it it it's pretty widespread over the country. Or is it okay. concentrated in the urban areas? Yeah, I'm glad you asked this question because that's that's another nuance we need to make. Actually, no, it is not widespread. In fact, most of the time you'll hear a lot about a lot of violence in Haiti. It's usually centered around the the capital city. Uh, rarely does anything major happen in one of the the other big cities like Cap Haitian or, or, or Lekai. Let's say someone who's living in Jeremy right now is living in, in, in relative safety, uh, I can say. Um, they don't feel the same pressure. They don't have the same fears because it is actually safer there. And that's something that's happening too right now because um, sometimes when those... Uh, gang members or those members of that, those organized crime bands, when they feel threatened, what they do is they go and hide in the countryside. And right now what's happening is people start to organize in those other cities in the countryside in the, in, in the rural communities to fight that. And if they see anyone moving in uh, from somewhere else into the community, they're going to start investigating that person, watching that person very closely, making sure that this is not something, some gang mem- member who just escaped from Paul Prince and who comes to their community to hide. Because, of course, um, once they do that, they, they will not stop their criminal activities. They will try to to continue it in the new community. We, we had a few examples in the, in the last few months, but amazingly enough, Whenever they start doing this, those people from those communities just bend together and they fight back and they push them back. So right now, it is uh, concentrated in poverty. But again, for people who are not who grew up in societies like in countries that are very decentralized, they may not understand how that is a big problem. Well, it is a problem because Haiti is still a very centralized country. That means. Pretty much everything happens in Paul Prince. Uh, no matter what you need, if you need a piece of paper from the government, that's actually what I was talking about in the video the other day. You have to go to Paul Prince. Um, that's where we, we have the best hospitals. That where, That's where the best schools are. That's where pretty much everything is. So if anything happens there, even if it's not happening Anywhere else in the country, it's going to impact the rest of the country because the rest of the country is going to be starved of everything they need to function. So that's why mm. it's a problem. 
Right. So that even if the actual violence and kind of confrontations isn't kind of reaching there, the it, it, it deeply impacts even rural areas because, like you said, everything kind of flows from from the center. So if, if exactly. that is kind of things are locked up there, and and I just want to uh, throw in because you've referred to it a few times, which is fine. Just for the um, listeners, you've mentioned a, a video, and and actually that was you know um, everyone's busy as as I am, and I've really wanted to get the podcast um, up and running again especially under the interesting times banner. And so I finally was like spurred to action because um, Eagleson had posted a video um, on Facebook the other day and uh, it was in Haitian Creole. So obviously I, I wasn't able to understand it, but um, I knew he was um, talking about what was going on there. And um, just even without understanding almost a word that he said, I even I have a little bit of French background, so maybe I could pick up a word or two. Um, just the kind of eloquence and the forcefulness and, and the kind of wisdom that you spoke with just reminded me of, of what a kind of articulate voice on these kind of matters you are and, and how I, I really would love to have you on the show. So that's the why uh, Eagleson's referring to that. So that video really kind of put me, uh, pushed me along to like, okay, I got to bother Eagleson because um, that's what a lot of this uh, <laughs> sort of thing is. is. Okay, I need to reach a critical mass where I feel I'm just going to bother somebody and try to, to convince them to, to take an hour of their time to it's, uh, sit it's down bothering at all because you know and, and actually I'm, I'm very thankful to you because i think this message is something that the world needs to mm. hear because sometimes people just hear about it from the news and uh what they are hearing may not necessarily match what is actually happening in the field and um I doubt that many people in Haiti are actually aware of what's happening and how and how bad it is. And I want to, you know, that's something we talked about um, when we when we chatted the other day, kind of trying to set this up, is that Haiti, as with other what we would call, quote unquote, developing countries, I'm not a particular fan of that term, but it's the nomenclature, so we'll use it, tend to fall into this category of being, I, I kind of, I, th I think it's a term that comes from like post-colonial um, studies, like periscopic mm -hmm. views, right? That like, you know, something's happening. And, and, and in the case of Haiti, um, you know, me coming from the United States, being, you know, raised in the U.S., um, Haiti is very much a quintessential example of that from, from the U.S. and perhaps Canadian perspective is that, you know, w if there's an earthquake or if there's some specific event with, with some sort of political strife or something, then like the periscope kind of turns to Haiti. But mm -hmm. Otherwise, it, it just recedes into the background, and, and the whole time there is still, you know, significant issues with with poverty or, mm -hmm. or as you're saying, pretend, you know, gang violence or so forth. And that these issues just don't go away. But the way it is packaged, for lack of a better term, a Western audience or an American audience tends to be again this kind of periscopic view of just kind of mm -hmm. flashing in and out. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, as I know, I don't need to tell you, you know, life goes on, things happen, you know, even when the periscope of, of, of the U.S. media or so forth. And and even now, even though, like, as you said, these conditions are perhaps unprecedentedly bad because of issues in the U.S. economy and the war in Ukraine, um, it's not really being covered that much. You know, I, I read major U.S. publications and it's not receiving that much coverage because of all of these other you know, the world's just, we're, we're, we're maxing out on calamities, I guess. Yeah. I'm glad you're saying this because um, it's, it's something I wanted to ask, um, to add to, sorry, uh, mm. uh, about what's going on in uh, going on in Haiti and, and, and how sometimes many American citizens um, who, who are watching it from afar and uh, do not understand uh, what role actually what's happening in the U.S. can have. 
and, and how it influences what's happening to us. And, and that's something I think uh, perhaps that it will help an American audience to understand. Because I'm going to tell you something. Um, look, th th those, those gangs there, they are using weapons. Those weapons are not made in Haiti, for example. And, and, and we're talking about like military um, grade weapons. Um, it's not just like a, a revolver or a handgun. Um, we, we're talking about AR-15s. We're talking about like weapons you would find in the hands of a U.S. Marine. Or, okay. or weapons you would find at a U.S. Walmart in, you know, Wisconsin. <laughs> yes, yes. That's, that's exactly where I was going, <laughs> right. I was going to. So yeah. I, I know that many American citizens see uh, gun ownership as a right, and it's something that should be free, and, 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 and it's sacred. It's something that shouldn't be touched. Uh, what I don't think that uh, many of those American citizens realize is that is also creating a lot of instability in the region uh, south of the U.S. border, uh, not just mm. in Haiti. We're talking about the entire uh, subcontinent of Central America, the Caribbean, and everywhere. Why? Because it's so easy to uh, acquire a firearm in the U.S. It is very easy for anyone to, as you're saying, go to a Walmart, uh, buy guns, or actually not even buy the guns. You know what they do now? They just buy the parts. Okay, They don't buy the entire gun. They just buy parts and then ship them to Haiti. And that's exactly what's happening. Like Just last week, the police uh, and uh, the customs, they just uh, seized a huge amount of that, a huge quantity of weapons that were going into the country. Like I'm talking about hundreds of rifles. All of that coming from the U.S. And, and when they tracked down who sent it, they found two American citizens and two Haitian citizens living in Florida. These two people were working together with that famous gang, infamous, I should say, or notorious gang that was um, uh, who, that actually uh, kidnapped those American missionaries who were in Haiti. So that is what is happening. That's what we're facing right now. So we, it's sometimes I think that people just feel it as like, okay, it's just happening in Haiti. We, you know, we have nothing to do. We're not mm. part of this. But we are all interconnected, uh, and what one does affects the other. Well, and it's all the more rich because, of course, not universally, but certainly within many quarters in the United States, the tendency is to focus or to create a world where it's the, everything is almost the opposite, that the United States is this pristine place and all of these negative or dangerous or forces. I mean, that was very essential to the rhetoric of Donald Trump. I mean, you know, of, of disease and dirtiness and mm -hmm. drugs and what have you. And I think very few Americans, even those of people who wouldn't sign on to like the Trump view or, or, mm -hmm. or would repudiate the Trump view, probably wouldn't even go the next step and realize all of the bad stuff that's coming out of the United States, namely weapons. And I'm sure it doesn't just stop at what you can get at the Walmart because there's tons of other ways where you can, you're talking like RPGs and God knows what. I mean, the amount of, I mean, that's what's something of, of now almost living 14 years in Korea and Japan. Um, you just lose sight of just how much 
weapons are like floating around the U.S. Um, and it, it, it's it, it just, I guess, what the water you swim in seems normal to you. And then I think it's really the more importantly, how that doesn't just get contained to the U.S. Like, a, you know, all these weapons and gun shows and all these things kind of running amok in the U.S., basically very loosely regulated to, to regulate it at all. Um, spills over into Haiti, into the Caribbean, into Central America. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. and, and I think that's something that not a lot of people really um, take stock of. Yes, exactly. And, and it's the same thing that happens with, with the drug situation too. Like, again, and I hear that a lot from conservatives from North America when sometimes they complain about uh, people uh, sending countries, sending drugs into their country. And, and again, it, it, just, it, it just shows a lack of understanding of what's really going on. Um, look, some of the violence we have in Haiti is actually drug-related. But the crazy thing is, first, Haiti is not a drug-producing country. We don't make it. We don't make cocaine. We don't, make, we don't grow marijuana. We don't produce any drugs. And second, we are not a country that is a consuming country. We don't consume drugs. Of course, I mean, this thing costs a lot of money. You know, I mean, who's, who's, who, <laughs> people don't have money to afford it, to be honest. I don't know if they did, if they would, but they really don't have money to afford it. Right. So here we are. We don't make it. We don't use it. Yet, we're still suffering from it. Why? Because we are a transit point. Why are we a transit point? Because there are people in the U.S., in Canada, in Europe, who are asking for that drug. And I think that's what many people don't understand. It's just like the drug doesn't come to the U.S. because other countries are sending it. It comes to the U.S. because there are people in the U.S. who are asking for it as a demand. Right. Well, that that is another thing, too, um, with the guns. I mean, there is that is something that I think... Um, I, you know, to be honest, I don't really ever have a good answer when I get the question, and I'm sure you get this as well. Like, well, mm-hmm. you know, what's what's so different about you know, or how is it living overseas, or what's different? And I don't often have a really good answer, but mm-hmm. I would say that is probably one of the more things. It's just the it, it drives home how much weapons and drugs are like awash in the U.S. I mean, <laughs> um, to suffice to say, like in the U.S., I mean, basically you can be anywhere. And be one or two steps removed from getting access to pretty much any drug you want. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, anywhere. Yeah. Just to, to uh, because, you know, we don't want it to turn it something into like an anti-American or whatever. No, but no. What I, I, I would just say in in comparison, that's, I guess, so yeah. No, no yeah, you're yeah, absolutely it, right. It's, it's I mean, what I'm saying is that. developed countries. Uh, right. It's and, and and I think. Uh, sorry, I'm just gonna just you know add this there. And I think the reason, personally, I think the reason why it's happening is because a lot of developed countries are countries that put a lot of pressure on their citizens for a lot of different things, and mm. and that pressure drives people crazy. And 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 some people are looking for an escape, and and of course, they go for drugs. Uh, I'm gonna tell you something. I, I've been living here, for example, in Korea for almost 15 years, I didn't realize Korea had a, a serious drug problem. Uh, it's not cocaine, but it's meth. <laughs> and I right. have no clue well, yeah. that existed. 
<laughs> right. No, no, sure. And, and yeah, of course, drugs are everywhere. And, and you know, it, it, I guess it's more of a volume or kind of reach um, thing mm-hmm. that is really um, in the U.S. too. the extent to which a lot of when I when I, I would include in drugs, um, a lot of the stuff people are getting from their doctors and pharmacies. Mm-hmm. Yes. When you go into any U.S. household and you open up the medicine cabinet, I mean, you're going to see like 20 prescription bottles. <laughs> <laughs> so many it's, pharmacies. You know, so I just, I mean, Americans are just, you know, there's just a lot of drugs going around and, um, and some of it's needed and I'm not trying to like just paint a broad brush, but taken as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I think going back to your point, you know, countries like Haiti and I think of um, Jamaica, I went to grad school with a, with a gentleman from Kingston and he always make the same point about Jamaica. I mean, it, it, of course, Jamaica does produce a lot of marijuana, but really Jamaica was involved in the drug trade to the extent of transiting cocaine mm-hmm. to the United States. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. It, it's, it's again, they're using all the islands in the Caribbean. I think, I think the only island that is not being used that much is Cuba because of course there isn't... Um, you know, the connections between the U.S. and, and Cuba are not that, mm. you know, smooth. And, and, right. and guess what? And that's one thing, again, many people don't realize. When we're looking at safety in terms of, you know, crime levels across the Caribbean, Cuba is the safest country in the entire Caribbean. Right. Just just put one and, you know, two and two together. <laughs> mm. Well, until recently, yeah, had in, in you know, um, depending on how you measured it, had you know, within the Caribbean and in, even within Latin America more broadly, had one of the higher standards of, of living mm-hmm. in terms of mm-hmm. you know basic kind of whatever metrics we would use. But uh, in some ways, I want to circle back to some of the issues that came up when we were talking with the um, gang violence and, and the criminal operation, because uh, I, I really have kind of plead ignorance because another angle of this story, and I guess... Um, we all this, have it, things you, we don't know. <laughs> well, it gets a little um, it gets a little tabloidy, I guess, because um, I don't know if tabloid is, is the right word, but... Um, the United States, there's a certain a major criminal um, ahead of one of these operations is now under in arrest and in prison in the United States. Am I correct about that? Yes. And that's and that is maybe is that part of the unrest as well or? Well, this is something that happened. So who is? Yeah. Who is it? Can you give me? Because honestly, I read about like a Haitian criminal um, head in prison in the U.S., but I I, I didn't get the full story. So what's, well, what's going on? Well, this guy's that? name is Yon Yon. Um, well, that's not his real name. That's one of the aliases that he uses. Um, and I, I'm not sure exactly what happened because it, it looks like, you know, they didn't arrest him this week. Like he was in prison, but he was, um, you know, housed the way some criminals do sometimes. It's like they are in prison, but they're still um, controlling their gangs from inside, from within the prison. I think that's what he was sure. doing. That's what they're saying about it, about him. And... Uh, it appears that he was the leader of that notorious gang, the, the Katsama Uzo gang that you, you, mo- you might have heard of. That's the gang who, that, that kidnapped the, the American missionaries. Mm. Um, anyway, so that's who he was. So he was their leader, it seems. Um, so the, the issue with his arrest and, and his extradition uh, to, to the U.S. is I think a lot of Haitians feel don't feel very positive about it. And I'm going to tell you why. Uh, because uh, this has been going on for a good five, six years. We, we've been, I mean, it wasn't that bad. I think it, it got worse after President Chauvin got assassinated. But, um, you know, it's it's been going on for quite a while. And what many Haitians are saying right now is like, okay, Haitians have been killed, kidnapped, raped uh, for like 
years and nothing happened. It looks like those guys, nobody could touch them, nobody could find them. But the moment a few American citizens became victim of it, then they got the leader. So, oh, so yeah, he, <laughs> yes, yeah, so they're saying they're accusing him of being responsible for kidnapping those missionaries. Yes, yes, uh, that's that's what um, uh, the word is. Um, and, and nobody is really sure what really is going on. Um, and, right. And, and but, so, so, what people are saying is, why is he being arrested right now? He's been doing this for so long and everybody knew he was there and he was doing this because those guys, you know, they would make videos, you know, with social media this, uh, these days. And that's what, that's what gets a lot of people angry because those guys are making lives. They are making, you know, posting videos online um, of you know, the money they make and things that they do. Uh, so it's not like nobody knows who they are. <laughs> mm. You know, so right. that, that's why a lot of Haitians are still angry. They're not angry that he got arrested. They are angry that, uh, you know, the whole time he was there doing this and nobody cared. But the moment a U.S. citizen, uh, you know, becomes a victim of, of it, then it got the attention that it needed. So it's, there's all that going going on too. So a bit of resentment and everything. I mean, there's obviously, you know, a certain class element to it in terms of people from wealthy countries. But I mean, I think, you know, to be, to be quite frank, um, not just in this case, but obviously in um, numerous other cases, I, I think there's often not so subtle implication of, of you know, extra outrage when, when it is quite frankly, white people involved. And I, and I, I, I noticed that and, and, you know, the run up to the war in Ukraine. And, and even, even I mean, you know, even it, it's just so baked in where it's, it, people keep saying, well, there's a war in Europe. Isn't that so bad? And and mm-hmm. I mean, it's bad if there's a war anywhere, but just that emphasis on, you know, there's a war in Europe. Like these are rich, civilized white people, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, and yeah, I'm not and saying I, that's, I mean, I don't think that's necessary. I, I don't want to be too um, mm-hmm. judgmental because I'm not, I'm not saying that, what I'm saying is that's kind of a context because I start thinking about, you know, the the raging war in Syria or the the mm-hmm. low level conflict or high level conflict in in uh, the DRC in, in and the surrounding areas, too. yeah, in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, what you know, the like you said, the kind of low level conflict in Haiti, the tens of thousands of people that have been dying in Mexico and the cartel warfares, which the United States is certainly directly or indirectly involved involved in, not in their deaths, but in in the, the the underlying causes and 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 that's not to diminish what is obviously a a gross misjustice and tragedies mm-hmm. that's befalling the people of Ukraine and and they deserve all of our um, care and concern sure, and, and sure, respect for so but it, it so it's not it's not about like you know it doesn't deserve this or or, or saying that but just the, you know that phrase became very common like this is mm-hmm. a war in Europe can mm-hmm. you believe that mm-hmm. you know and and it's like this is not and I think what's interesting is I don't think people meant it that way but that but if you take it a step or two further the idea is like this is a place where these kinds of things don't happen mm-hmm. yes and I think that's kind of what what's happening with many people too when they say that it's, it's again they may not mean it in a bad way they may not actually realize the significance of what they are saying, I think. And, and, and I think that's that's where we need to raise the awareness. It's not a matter of just being, uh, you know, overcritical or um, it's, uh, it's, it's helping people become aware 
of look, yes, I know this is happening there and it's really bad, but uh, also be aware that it's happening to in other places and it's not getting the attention that it deserves. Right. Well, and this stuff comes to mind when I see in like, you know, I, I said I read, you know, the New York Times and the Washington Post. And when I see in like the, the quote unquote, the other news section, which is like, oh, this is some stuff that happened, mm-hmm. you know. 150 people drowned in, in a boat in the Mediterranean trying to like get get, get to some place of, of some security and prosperity and they, you mm-hmm. know, with their families and, mm-hmm. you know, two dozen people drowned in, in a, in a mm. poorly constructed raft. And it's just in like other news. Yeah. Yes. And, and again, the, the reaction to it. So in, in many developed countries, it's like you feel like many times, you know, oftentimes people don't see those people are, as refugees or people who are just fleeing violence. They, they just see them as people coming here to bother us. Uh, right. and, and, and I mean, it's, that, that's, that's the same case. I mean, we have a lot of Haitians right now doing the same across the, the Caribbean Sea, going, mm. going to the U.S. or trying to, to sneak it through, you know, Mexico or wherever they can. And we had that, 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 you know, incident in Texas a few weeks back, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and, and again, if you listen to conservatives in North America, when they see those things, the, 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 their attitudes toward it is that we don't need these people here uh, and, 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 and they're coming here to bother us. And what they do not realize is uh, oftentimes there are things that are created from North America itself that is causing the problem those people have that's making them move north. So it's, right. th- there was a, a friend kind of, you know, he was saying that jokingly uh, this week and he was like, OK, as long as those weapons can keep flowing south, then people will keep flowing north. <laughs> so right. it's, yeah, it's, no. And I mean, to me, I'll even go a step further. And this is my my personal view um, is that even if it's for economic reasons, that's tied to someone's physical well-being and safety. And, and I think. You know, there's a, a, a story and, and it's, a, it's a true story, but it, al- it almost reads like a parable um, told by in one of the books. I can't remember the name by um, um, famous philosopher and economist Amartya Sen. And he talked about um, when he was a child, I, f- I forget the region he lived in in India. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a mixed region of Hindus and, and Muslims. And he was from a Hindu family. And um, he remembered a, a Muslim um, gentleman who worked in the marketplace there and um at some point, some event happened that he, you know, I can't remember. I'm, I'm just, but suffice to say, um, you know, in that, in that, in those kinds of situations, rumors about him or something broke out and he was stabbed, you know, mm-hmm. people surrounded him, he got stabbed to death. And, and what Sen said is that what really always stuck with him was that that person was working in that environment in, in this Hindu majority environment, knowing that it was, he was always at risk, mm-hmm. but that, his need for kind of economic security and, and the ability to kind of sustain himself and his family mm-hmm. was willing, he was willing to take that risk, mm-hmm. you yes. know? Um, and, and I think that's how I think about, a, a, you know, a group of 30 families getting on a, a rickety boat in the Mediterranean, which is not a forgiving body of water to float, you know, a, a hundred kilometers. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, you know, that's what, what, would... what, you know, people aren't getting on that boat because they think West is such a great civilization. They're getting, they're getting on that boat because they feel it's a chance to survive. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and it's not even about civilization or anything. If you just even think about it in terms of weather, um, we joke about it all the time. Um, we don't like the cold. If you're from the Caribbean, <laughs> I mean, what are you looking for? 
in a place where it can be minus 20 sometime in February. People, they don't really like it. The the reason why they are moving is because it has become impossible for them to live where they are. Uh, If, if for some reason, if we find a way to create a a livable society for them where they are, I guarantee you they're going to stay there. (laughs) I mean, yes, we can still visit the US, we can still visit Canada or France or Spain or wherever, uh, for you know, as tourists for a vacation, you know, a couple of weeks we have fun and then we go back home. Uh, nobody's gonna want to come and stay illegally, uh, which is what I think many people from the developed countries don't want. <laughs> so that's the issue. People are not moving because they like it. They're not moving because they are too lazy. They are moving because it's impossible for them to live where they are. Yeah. And, and to me, when, you know, when I just see those stories, it just really is um, crushing and, 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 you know, just really hits me in this, this thinking about that moment of, you know, um, someone, you know, getting their kids and their family and, and, you know, and getting on this boat that they know is rickety and probably not safe, just like that circumstances have arisen that have made that seem like a, a reasonable choice. Um, so, I wanted to, you know, we, we, just with the time we have left to kind of use the what we were talking about earlier with the arrest. And, you know, I kind of this kind of all came off of um, talking about this person being in U.S. prison. Um, you said his name was Yo-Yo. Sorry, sorry. He wasn't in a U.S. prison. He was in prison in Haiti. But now he's in a U.S. prison. Now he is in, in, in Yeah, yeah. So yes. now he's been in prison. Well, and, and I wanted to use that as a segue kind of back to the beyond like the like we talked about maybe the flow of weapons and and the things that um affect haiti and other places in the caribbean just by their proximity to the u.s and and the kind of availability of weapons but to to a little bit more kind of direct and kind of rote ways that the u.s affects and has affected the political situation in haiti and i'm as with you i'm i'm you know i'm a child of the 90s (laughs) and for me and and i think this is i mean you know reflecting on my own development of, of, of a worldview and, and the periscopic view. And, and th- that's why I'm not using this as like, it makes anyone bad. I mean, mm-hmm. the first thing I probably ever really learned about Haiti um, or thought about Haiti mm-hmm. was in the nineties with uh, former president Aristide mm-hmm. and, and literally the United States um, Marines flying to the presidential palace and, and holding guns and saying like, get on this helicopter, which is a thing. I, another thing I think Americans don't fully I don't know if grasp is the right word. I mean, it's just like, you know, I like that term the British use, Ken. Like, it's just outside of their Ken. Like, they just could, the, the, the notion that, you know, someone lands on the White House and like a bunch of guys go with storm into the White House with guns and say, like, you get on this helicopter now, right? It's, it's you know, it's one thing to say, like, United States is a country, Haiti's a country, France is a country, Brazil's a country, or what have you. But it, it's one thing to say that, but to see the, depth of the distinction in the sense that, you know, you have the United States feeling not only the right, um, but, you know, the right that they can just fly the Marines into the presidential palace in Haiti, um, outside of, I, I'm not even defending Aristide or what have you, I'm just saying <laughs> yes, yeah, well, the it, mere act of it. So I guess, yeah, I guess, you know, um, all is a kind of wind up to, to, and I, and another massive question, like, thinking about, um, and this goes back much further than the 90s, I'm just talking about my own kind of first recollection of, of seeing Haiti in the news and, and thinking about it. I think I was in high school. Um, 
you know, maybe you can try to share with the with listeners kind of how this this relationship, if you know, um, I, I you know, I think I think Koreans, um, uh, you know, you're familiar with the term jung, um, the the kind of sense of feeling and connection. And one thing I always liked about that term jung is that it it need not be a positive, mm-hmm. right? Jung is the idea that our lives are mm-hmm. kind of entwined it, it by destiny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it can be a positive or negative way. So mm-hmm. um, and it, for better or for not, um, the United States and Haiti have Jung. Mm-hmm. So maybe we could, you mm-hmm. know, you could talk about that. Yes, the, the two countries are linked in, you know, I mean, through our history. I mean, we, we became independent almost at the same time. Um, similar revolution. <laughs> Many people don't realize. Um, and uh, and actually, our revolutions influenced one another in a way, in, so, in some way. Um, and uh, it's, th- there's a lot of connections. And, and what you're saying here about um, U.S. influence on, on, Haitian, on Haitian politics is true. Um, it's not a, a secret to, to anybody now, I think, that the, you know, the U.S. has been removing presidents from Haiti anytime they please. If it's a president that doesn't serve uh, American interests, um, they may just come in and remove him. And, and it's, it's, you know, it started as far back as we can imagine, uh, as we can think of, um, you know, from Baby Doc to, <laughs> um, to Aristide. Um, and, you know, you will even hear some people say there was, there might have been, you know, some U.S. involvement in 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 Jovenel, Jovenel Moïse, you know, assassination. I, I don't think that's true, well, uh, for a specific reason, because I think when I, I, you know, I'm Haitian, I I've seen it done many times. I know how the U.S. operates when they are the president. <laughs> yes, I know how it's done. When the U.S. <laughs> kills a president, they have a very different way of doing things. Well, I mean, that's a fair. <laughs> A bit of gallows humor, <laughs> literal gallows humor. Um, right. Well, and, and, and just to, to, to um, add on um, to what you're saying, I mean, the, the Duvaliers, the, the Duvalier family was in some ways not, you know, I don't want to say fully permitted, but was um, supported by the United States because they were, quote unquote, anti-communist. Yes, they were one exactly. of many violent, repressive, mm-hmm. authoritarian regimes that the United States mm-hmm. um, well, supported. That, that, that's the excuse, mainly uh, uh, Francois Duvalier, the father. That's the excuse he used to, to assassinate anyone he wanted to. So if he killed anyone, he just told the U.S. ambassador that, oh, that was a communist. And then, you know, they, they just put it under the rug. And then, you know, that's how we... Well, <laughs> and, and, and as you're coming to me from Changwon, um, mm-hmm. Korea, uh, you know, very close to the, the, the town of Yasu and, and not so far from Jeju Island, of course, over the water, um, was the site of mass atrocities in Korea um, by the South Korean army against Koreans in the same name of anti-communism. So it's interesting that, you know, your home country, Haiti, and your, you know, adopted or, or at least somewhat, temp, you know, permanent home um, in Korea, or at least for the last 15 years, um, are both sites of this kind of yes, um, and, and, U.S.-backed. Mm-hmm. And then from a historical perspective, I understand it. I, I don't condone it. I understand it. There was, you know, it, that was the, the Cold War, <laughs> in the middle of the Cold War. People were terrified. I mean, even today, if you talk, if you speak to Americans, you can see they are like terrified of anything. Uh, if you want an American not to do something, just tell them it's it's socialist or it's communist. Right. <laughs> so, right. Well, so, yeah. No. I mean, that has always that... the fear was there, and and that fear was driving all this violence. Mm. 
Um, well, you know, and and I guess maybe that's the, that's a good place to turn to maybe for our, for our kind of last bit of uh, the conversation is is one you know I think that is a a something that is really um, quite distinctive and special and unique about Haiti as as a culture as a country as a society is you talked about the revolution I mean I hope most listeners know but but possibly some don't. Um, it was the, um, you know, I believe the only country where the enslaved population organized, militarized and and successfully overthrew colonial uh, slave holding mass, you know, um, you know um, yes. society, the French. Yes. At least in and, recent history. I mean, well, relatively recent history. Right. And so, yeah. And, and I think that's that's something that is in some ways there there is a, a notion. And I wanted to ask you about that, that, mm-hmm. you know, not just thinking about the last 50 years or even the Cold War, but the last 100 years or 200 years, um, certainly from the from the, the French and, and onward, there has been a notion that that example, particularly, you know, because slavery um, and the enslavement of, of Africans in the United States continued well on after the Haitian Revolution, mm-hmm. um, which was in what year now again? 17? 17. Uh, I mean, you, the, the, the Haitian Revolution? Yes. Yes. That, it started in 17, um, 18, well, pretty much actually in the 1770s, actually, that started, you know, earlier so, than that, but it ended right. in 1804. With, in 1804. Right. So, you know, at least 60 years after that, there were still legally enslaved populations in the United States and that Haiti was seen as a, a, a potentially a dangerous example. Yes, yes. Well, I mean, we were a threat for many reasons because we, we were a bad example. They didn't want, I mean, if you're a slave owner, you don't want people to hear about, you know, other slaves, um, you know, rising up and, and overthrowing the, 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 the system. You don't want that. Right. Yes. But also... Because we, as a country, and that's something that many people don't realize, we went out of our ways to help other countries in the region to free themselves from colonial powers. And I think that's what got many of them really, really mad. Because when we, I mean, we crossed into the Dominican Republic and, 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 and kind of kicked Spain out. Uh, <laughs> we didn't do this one because we, we wanted to free the Dominicans. I have to be honest with you. It was a strategic uh, action because we we're like okay if we let any colonial powers on this island they can come back and attack us so we had to get to kick them out uh, but we didn't just do that we also went in South America you probably uh, have heard of the Bolivarian Revolution and Haiti played a very big role in that too in helping freeing uh, at least the top three South American countries Colombia um, uh, Venezuela and um, Ecuador. Uh, which is why sometimes I think many Americans don't understand why Haiti and, and, and Venezuela have the connection we do uh, and why Hugo Chavez was talking the way he was talking about Haiti. It wasn't political. It's something, uh, the, the, the relationship between Haiti and Venezuela existed before socialism or communism or anything. So, uh, right. yeah. Well, I had, <laughs> I had no idea of the connection between uh, Haiti and, and the Bolivarian yes. um, revolution. That's, I had no idea. This is, that's really interesting. Yeah, that's why if you look at the, the flags, like those three flags, the Colombian flags, the Venezuelan flag, and the, the Ecuadorian flag, you would see that they are pretty similar. And what you'll see in those flags, actually, the bottom is the Haitian flag. It's the blue, the, the, the blue and red of the Haitian flag, and on top oh. of it, a yellow band, because that flag was made in Haiti. It's the Bolivarian flag. Uh, 
<laughs> yes, that's when. No, I, I mean, no, honestly, I mean, I consider myself reasonably knowledgeable of of, of history and, and so forth. But that is a, I actually this, want, I, I, would, I want to find some books about this. It's, a part, it's, it's, it's this part of history they want it hidden. Like you will right. not hear about it. Nobody wants right. to talk about it in the West. <laughs> <laughs> right. No. And this is, yeah. So this is cool. And I'm, I'm actually, um, you know, uh, I want to kind of find, I'm sure there's got to be some books out there discussing kind of um, the relationship. That reminds me of uh, one of my favorite uh, quotations from KRS-One. He says, the truth is out there. They keep it hidden in a place <laughs> called the library. Exactly. Exactly. So. Um, okay. Well, as a, as a last, um, last kind of question to you, and, and thank you so much. This has been really, um, I said, even just now, I've learned a ton and I really appreciate taking the time. But as a kind of last question, mm-hmm. um, another thing that came up when we were talking last time is I, I find it, it's always this, I describe to you when, I, when I, I teach about, you know, development or quote unquote development and, and within the context of Korea and more broadly internationally and um, what we mean by development and mm-hmm. so forth. And mm-hmm. I always say there's kind of this fine line between appreciating the significant difficulties that um, many people in places like Haiti or Jamaica or um, in sub-Saharan Africa or Southeast Asia um, in places that still struggle with very, very extensive reaches of poverty. Um, and, and it's important to acknowledge that and to appreciate how far we still need to go in, in rectifying that and into making people whole in terms of their ability to experience, you know, just the basic necessities and in, in order to have access to basic necessities of life and, and a chance to kind of actualize and fulfill at fulfillment. But at the same time, we don't want to fall into this trap of, again, catastrophizing places and seeing people as only just kind of these tragic figures. And and um, so uh, with, with that theme in mind, we've, we have talked a lot about some of the tougher issues going on in Haiti now and some of the history and some of the problems. But, um, uh, you know, as someone from Haiti, and, and I wanted to ask you, you know, what do you love about Haitian culture and, and what things do you think would you want people to, you know, because th- they want to see beyond just, you know, mm-hmm. gang violence or mm-hmm. corruption or government kind of strife or so forth. You know, what what are some things that you really appreciate or love about Haiti that you feel kind of gets lost in, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, this kind of always focusing on the tragedy? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you know, as a Haitian, we will always love our culture. You know, no matter who you are and where you're from, and 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 I I think that's uh, what I love the most about my country, and uh, I, I love the people, and I think one of the things that we have is the ability to to find happiness <laughs> despite everything going on. Yes, there are still people smiling. There are still people laughing. There are still people dancing. Um, we 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 are able to do that, and perhaps that's why we are, we still exist. Because otherwise, um, I, I really I don't know how we we can go through all of this and still be there. So I, I like that. I also like our sense of community, the way we like to help each other, and actually the way we like to help anybody. Um, if you, as a foreigner, you, let's say you're in Haiti right now and, and you're in trouble, you'll be shocked. Like, how many people are just going to come to your aid? Um, they don't need to know. They don't need to be able to talk to you <laughs> to to come and try to help you find out, okay, there's a foreigner here. He's in our country. He's in trouble. We're going to help him. It doesn't really matter. Uh, everybody get out of the way. There's a foreigner here who's in trouble. Right. So, yeah. uh, and I think that is something we, we should keep. 
Um, mm. Because you, there are places where you go, um, where you know, as a foreigner, you will feel like, yo, I'm not wanted. <laughs> right. No, I understand. <laughs> you know? yeah. So I, yeah. I, I like that. I also mm. like the fact that many people, because that's something that people don't realize. That, you know, the, the, the word I was out there, and again, from people who were not really aware, is like, you know, people, countries are poor because the people are lazy. Couldn't be any further from the truth. Um, what I've seen people do in Haiti, what I've seen some of the poorest people do in terms of work, the amount of work I've seen people put out, it's incredible. Uh, so, yes, people are really working hard. The problem is they're not getting anything from their hard work. <laughs> so that's that's the thing. So we, 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 we like that. But also, um, I think that a sense of hope, regardless of how bad things are, and that's what I was trying to tap in uh, the other day in, the, in that video that we, we've been talking about here. Uh, you know, yes, things are bad. Yes, things are very, very bad. And we shouldn't accept them the way they are. But the, the thing is, we'll get through this. It might not be next week or next month or even next year, but it cannot stay the way it is. We'll get through this. Um, and, and I think all we need... Honestly, all we need as a country right now is not humanitarian aid. Uh, we've been trying this for decades. It doesn't work. <laughs> what we need is opportunities to create our own society where every single Haitian feels comfortable and safe to live in his or her own country and do what he or she likes the most and succeed. Um, and that, it has to be done by Haitians. Uh, we've been having imported solutions for decades. It still doesn't work. Um, we might dig through it to find out exactly why it doesn't, but the fact is it doesn't. So uh, I think it's time for, for Haitians to find Haitian solutions to Haitian problems. It's time that we start building a country a Haiti for Haitians uh, so that we can feel comfortable living in our country. That's all we need. Safe, safety, sorry. That's all we need. We need safety and we need opportunities. If those two are created on our island, I can guarantee you, I give you 10 years, you're not going to recognize Haiti. I mean, that is the way it is right now. It's going to be a completely different country and things are going to be fine. Right now, what we have is we don't have opportunities and safety is a problem. You remove those two out of the equation, everything will start falling back into place. Mm. Wow. Eagleson de Gagne, thank you so much for, uh, I mean, that is such a good way to to wrap this up. And I, I'll be quite honest, um, I was, I'm ready to vote for you, man. I mean, you, <laughs> are you running for president? I am not. You, I mean that, I mean that in the best way. That was, I mean, that was like inspiring. I was like, I want to, I want to go campaign for you. I, I don't think I have the skills for it. So forget why, forget, Hey, may not be my calling. <laughs> forget. I'll tell you what, forget why Clef Jean is president. I'd vote for you any day. No, but I mean, seriously, no, I mean, that was, a real, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not just being flip. I mean, that was a really stirring. And I, I mean, that was like such a, a, a good way to, to wrap I, this I up. I am flattered. I am flattered. Um, I, I don't see myself as a politician. I think there are things I could do actually to help Haiti. Um, well, according to Plato, that makes you a perfect politician. 
<laughs> that's why yeah. you're the. That's why you should be. You're oh, gonna get all right. Well, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Buy, and I, and I can. I can cut this. Um, if, if not possible, but um, mm-hmm. you know, the listeners might not. Uh, I'm sure. Um, some of my um, those who who know you. Um, but those who don't, uh, Eagleson is an extremely accomplished multi instrumental um, musician. So what I'm going to ask you now is we have our own theme music here at the podcast, but um, as a special, uh, I was wondering if you had any recorded songs you could send to me that we could use for the outro. Um, yes, uh, I, I, I could. Um, I'll look, I, I, I'll dig through some of the things that I've written. Um, yeah, if you have, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I know you used to do a lot. I used to, I used to listen to you when we worked together. You'd play the guitar and, and you, you just do, you know, um, guitar and, and uh, um, singer songwriter stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, that would be really cool. Yes, I'll, I'll send you something. And, uh, All right, cool. And we'll make that the outro for today. <laughs> I didn't mean to put you on the spot. <laughs> no, 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 that's okay. That's okay. I'm, 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 I'm All right, cool. Share. Uh, cool cool no that i thought that would be since again you are such a, a really um i've really enjoyed i've gotten to hear eagleson play um many times over the years and he's you know beyond being you know such a thoughtful and, and really interesting speaker on 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 the issues we talked about today um he's just a phenomenal musician on top of that he's, oh, one, th- he's a person you. that i <laughs> i call i call him he's he, eagleson is like annoyingly talented and and he's not arrogant <laughs> in the least and that makes it even worse so you know he's just one of those he's a when you're one of those types yeah, you you're know, like good at a lot of things and you're really humble and it's like that that actually makes it worse like you I, want someone I, I, I can't blush but you would make me <laughs> if someone if someone is really talented if someone's really talented and they're arrogant you're like well at least they're an asshole but you know you're you're yeah you're like really nice and genuinely a good person and you're like super talented so i find that annoying all right Eagleson, thank you so much i really really um appreciate you taking the time i i i really i know our listeners are, are, are really going to learn a lot i learned a ton so um thank you so much and thank you uh, hopefully for, we can uh, catch you sometime soon thank you for the opportunity and uh have a great weekend all right you too thanks
Pour nous reposer, et en pleine, toute pleine, va joindre. 